I am really excited today to talk about Joseph and Hiram and their relationship, and especially Hiram's responsibility to be preparing himself to preach the gospel. Yeah, I'm interested in talking a little bit more about Satan and uh, specifically what he does and how we can resist him. <laughs> so welcome. Before we get started in our discussion, maybe we can follow up on what we read? Yeah, let's do it. So today we are talking about Doctrine and Covenants, sections 10 and 11. Joseph is told to not labor more than he has strength and to pray always. So the Lord is also going to warn Joseph about the evil designs of men and of Satan, of course. And the Book of Mormon is there to teach all of the nations. And later on, Hiram is told to seek after the Spirit and to cleave unto God. There's a lot of things we can talk about in these sections, but we're going to focus in on three things in particular. Uh, overcoming Satan's tactics, how God prepares a way for his work to be accomplished, and treasuring up the word. Yeah, so we have a fantastic scholar here that's with us today and a good friend, uh, Hank Smith. Hank, Hank would welcome. you please come join us up Absolutely. here on the stage? Hey, guys. Thank you for wearing bright yellow socks. We appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> Hank, really, thank you for being here. Absolutely. So Hank is an assistant professor of ancient scripture at Brigham Young University. He taught with the seminary and institute program for about 14 years. Um, he's a public speaker and he does a lot of studies focused specifically on high trust in education. Yeah. So getting into our discussion, Hank, I'm wondering just kind of a big uh, bird's eye view, what kind of stood out to you in these sections? What really spoke to you? What stood out to me is I think oftentimes when we read church history, uh, we, we have this idea maybe in our heads that these people, Joseph, Hiram, Martin, they know how this is going to work out and everything's going to be fine, right? You, you picture Joseph talking to Martin saying, oh, don't worry about it. We're all going to move to Utah one day and we're going to build a conference center and don't worry, it's going to be great. Joseph probably wouldn't have said that. Right, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, he's, it, this idea that somehow they know they're living in the past, yeah. right? They don't look at each other and go, look at me in my 1800s clothes. It's like we're living in the past. Yeah. It, it's their life. Right. This is day to day. And they don't know how it's going to work out. So I think what you need to do, first off, when I read, is try to get into their minds and say, what would it be like to be living this? The Doctrine and Covenants is real people with real problems and they are facing it just like you and I are facing things going, what am I supposed to do? I don't know how this is going to work out. And I think once we do that, they become much more real to us mm -hmm. than kind of these figures knowing that they're part of a grand scheme. So maybe we can get right into to some of the difficulties they're facing and talk about um, how Satan was involved in this early history. If we were to ask the question, what are some of Satan's tactics mentioned in Doctrine and Covenants 10, uh, it would look something like this. So we have here, he attacks people through their hearts, he lays cunning plans, he stirs up to iniquity, stirs up souls and leads them to destruction, stirs up people to anger, he says there's no harm in sin, uh, encourages deceit and lying. He flatters and snares, overpowers, and again, stirs people up to contention. What might we learn from these verses about how to best resist Satan's efforts? What do you think? Yeah, Emily. So I had an experience a year and a half ago, I received a traumatic brain injury. And for a solid year, I was not getting correct healing and things were not looking good in my life. And for that solid year, Satan was working so hard to stir me up that I had so much anger. And it was getting worse and worse and worse. I was mad at God of why he let this happen. I was mad at God that healing wasn't happening. And I didn't even realize that Satan stirs us up in such subtle ways and little things that if we're not even careful, we can be really deep down the hole. And it's hard to get back up. It was really hard. Every day I just 
I'd have to just continue to pray even though I didn't want to, and continue mm. reading my scriptures even though I didn't want to because that anger was still there. Mm. And I had to continue just to realize that the Lord did love me, even though I did feel abandoned at the time mm -hmm. because I'd struggled so long with it that I knew that he had a plan for it, that this trial was not a surprise to him, mm. that he knew whatever my outcome mm. was out of the future, that it would be okay. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks for that. Uh, Brooklyn, yeah, you had a comment. Yeah, I feel like just knowing that... Um, that's the way Satan works can really help you because I feel like some people don't know that Satan mm -hmm. and just like reading these scriptures and knowing like that's how he works can really like help you from stopping Satan prevail in you. What is the danger of not knowing, would you say? Because you don't know it's him and you continue it thinking it's like fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. You know, in fact, Daniel, President Faust has, a, has an important quote about Satan. Since Satan is the author of all the evil in the world, it is essential, therefore, to realize that he is the influence behind the opposition to the work of God. And I, th I think of this, and some of these things that point out to me that are, that are important to me from this section is, is that we understand what Satan's doing, but the motivation behind Satan. I mean, it is so, he is so frustrating to me. He is the exact opposite in motivation of Jesus Christ. So you see in verse 19, right off the bat, these are the people and, and their motive. So verse 19, therefore, we will destroy him. That's the motive of the people that are, that are going to use the documents and they're going to change these pages and they're going to be writing and all these different things that the Lord says. But their motive behind doing so is not to help Joseph. It's not to save souls. It's not to better the people around them. Their whole motive behind doing this is to destroy Joseph. I mean, how sick is that? But then you think, well, well, who are they following? So then you look and you say, okay, so what's Satan's motive? And you look at verse 22. Satan stirreth them up that he may lead their souls to destruction. Satan desires to destroy people. And then verse 23, and thus he has laid a cunning plan thinking to destroy the work of God. I mean, talk about sick. Like, I just think, I, I, I don't understand why anyone would wanna ever destroy someone else. And Satan is the ultimate in evil. I mean, we don't like to talk about him necessarily, but it's true. He tried to destroy the plan of the Father and he's trying to continue to destroy the plan on the earth today. So for me, it is extremely important that we know Satan's tactics. It's extremely important that we know that when we are having a desire to destroy somebody or when we are filled with anger or when we are trying to be deceptive in some way, that's not coming from the Lord. God will never cause us to try to destroy somebody in those kinds of ways. All right, Hank, I think you had a comment. Is that right? Yeah, I wanted to tell a story. Right. Um, Brooklyn, what Brooklyn was talking about earlier and what you said uh, really just uh, reminded me of an experience I had when I was a kid. So I was a teenager back in the 1900s and I was on the football team and uh, my coach was really into football. So he said, okay, we're playing this high school this weekend. He said, I want you to watch number 73. And he was on their offense. Whenever he came down and it was a running play, he would put his hand really hard on the ground because he was gonna run forward. But if it was a passing play, he would just dangle his hand on the, on the grass like this. He would basically tell us what the play was going to be by the way he lined up. And he had no idea that he was doing it. So my coach said, okay, you're gonna find him. And when he puts his hand down, you're gonna yell out what they're going to do. The very first play of the game comes out. He puts his hand hard on the ground and I yell out, run. And all of the defense got ready for a run. And they kind of looked confused. Like, how did he know that? And then he came out and he dangled his hand a little bit on the next play and I yelled out, pass. And then they got really frustrated and they moved their huddle back a little bit because they thought I was listening on their huddle and he would come out. They even tried to change the play at the line. 
So the quarterback would change the play, but he would change his stance. So I would yell, run, and then they'd change the play, and I'd yell, pass. And they were getting so mad. They were yelling at each other. I don't know how he knows. How does he know, right? And we were up uh, 28 to nothing after one quarter uh, because I knew what was going to happen. And as you said that, Barb, I realized that Satan has to hate section 10. Because section 10 tells us what he's going to do. So if we're wise in our reading as parents and as uh, youth, we're going to be looking for these things. So when we see them in real life, when they uh, just all of a sudden we see this apostate type person or this type of argument, we go, hey, I've seen that before. I know what that is. Yep, new names, new circumstances, but same tactics. Same arguments. They just keep on going. Same arguments, exactly. In fact, Hank, I think we have a video where we have a question from a, a viewer. In Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 10, in verse 5, it says, Pray always that you may come off conqueror, yea, that you may conquer Satan, and that you may escape the hands of the servants of Satan that do uphold his work. I always am curious about the hows in the scriptures. How does this really happen? I think that's a fantastic question. It takes me to Moroni chapter 10, verse 5. Um, where, where we have this important principle, simply by the power of the Holy Ghost, you may know the truth of all things. Um, there are ways that we are able to discern good and evil. And one of those ways is by praying and simply asking Heavenly Father for direction. And through the Holy Ghost, we are guided to know the truth. Uh, Elder Bednar is, has mentioned that all of us should be praying for the gift of discernment. When we are praying and showing the Lord uh, that we desire to know the truth, we are putting our, our mind, our heart in line with God's. And we're able to detect those things that are a little bit off or the motivations that may not be pure. We're able to see the lies from the truths. We're able to, to the Lord is able to clarify who we are because we're, our focus is constantly on him. Yes, please. I also have created a prayer cheat sheet I write all the things on there that I want to remember to pray for daily. And then I go back to the previous month and I see how Heavenly Father has answered those prayers. And then I am able to see his hand more clearly in my life and pour out gratitude for the things that he has helped me with the previous month. So it's kind of like keeping record of it. And so for me, it's just creating the space to meditate, pray, read my scriptures and ponder every day. And it's Right now it's at 5 a.m. And uh, that's been huge for me, just a game changer. Thank you. Desi, please. Uh, I used to listen to not like the greatest music. It was pretty unclean. And uh, I didn't have to say a prayer. I just had a feeling that I should stop. And uh, while I was listening to that, I kind of just became complacent and didn't like, I wasn't really engaging in church as often. And I was just, kind of going through life and then as I stopped uh, I was just feeling the spirit a lot more and church became more meaningful in my life. There's there's this point where you're lining yourself up with the Lord and you're willing to give up whatever it takes so that you can destroy the conqueror. Putting yourself in a position where you were able to be speaking with God and the Lord will help you with that. For me personally my morning prayers are a creation of my day. So when I kneel down in the morning to say my prayers I try to create my day spiritually. Um, and none of that really involves sinning, right? I don't think, well, I'm going to plan to steal this and rob this bank, and Lord, please help me to, you know, swear at that person, right? I, none of that involves any sin at all. Well, then, at the end of the day, I return and report. 
on my creation. Satan has really no way of jumping in there because it's the Lord and I. I'm creating a day and he's, and then I come back and I think the Lord says, okay, how did you do? It didn't quite look exactly how I envisioned it, right? I wasn't as patient as I'd hoped to be. I wasn't as gentle and kind as I'd hoped to be. So I said, okay, let's try again tomorrow. Let's do it again tomorrow. Well, I think maybe this is part of that pray always that you come off conqueror is you win a little more every day. You get closer and closer to what you envision yourself to be. Uh, and the Lord is so good to us. He just allows us to keep trying, keep trying again and again. Excellent. So this has been an excellent discussion on, on overcoming Satan and understanding his tactics. Uh, maybe we can talk a little bit now about how God prepares a way for his work to be accomplished in our lives. One of the things that stuck out to me in DNC 10 is, I mean, there's an interesting story that kind of demonstrates how God, uh, you know, prepares a way for his work to be accomplished. You'll recall that Martin Harris lost 116 pages of the Joseph Smith translation of the Book of Mormon. So the Lord tells Joseph not to retranslate what was lost because a wicked man would try to use the new translation uh, against him by comparing it with their altered translation of these pages. And the way the Lord prepares a way for his work to be accomplished in this circumstance is he says, the content of those pages I have uh, placed elsewhere. I actually commanded Nephi to abridge the, the record of his father, which contains the same content as these 116 pages. So here you have the Lord preparing a way for this content, this valuable content to come forth uh, in the latter days, despite some of the mistakes his servants would make along the way. What's interesting to me too, Daniel, is that Joseph Smith leaves this in the Doctrine and Covenants. Yeah. His own major mistake that he makes, and he learns repentance really well through this, and yet he leaves it here, this correction um, for both him and Martin. I feel bad for Martin. He kind of gets a bad reputation when he's a, a really an incredible guy. Without him, we don't have a Book of Mormon, right? But poor Martin, he's uh, kind of, he's been stuck with this for a long time. People will probably bring it up in the next life, right? Oh, how about those pages, <laughs> oh, right? Yeah. Like, oh, why can't I, why won't yeah. anybody forget about that? Yeah. It is kind of comforting to know that the Lord plans for your mistakes, though. He's like, I got you. Like, it's gonna, you're gonna mess up. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> he, he teaches that in verse, in verse three, really. I just love, I love the words, just simply, nevertheless, it is now restored unto you. Like, in other words, it's like God saying, look, I'm giving you one more, another chance. Not even just one more chance. I'm giving you another chance. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that, that's repentance at its finest. And the Lord does it over and over and over and over again to us. I mean, this experience between Joseph and Martin is, opens our eyes as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to see this tender, kind, merciful Christ, who paid every price, who only had one chance to do it, frankly, and he, and he did it. But yet he gives us every chance that we possibly need. I think we had a couple uh, comments over here, uh, Raquel. It's a really cool story to be able to know that the Lord has a plan that will be fulfilled mm -hmm. and that everyone's gonna make mistakes and, and that's okay, we can repent and move forward. I'm a bit of a perfectionist. You know, I think I have anxiety that makes me think I have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. If we hide our mistakes under a bushel because we're scared and ashamed, then it doesn't really benefit anyone but if we own up and we just, you know, we're humble and we say, hey, you know what? This one time this thing happened and it was rough and I made a mistake, but I learned from it. Then, then we're empathizing with other people. We're, we're helping other people along the way as, as we gain those insights. As I think about what you're saying and, and think about DNC 10 and 11, uh, the fact that uh, Joseph is so forthcoming with his own mistakes, like that does give me hope. You know, I could still be imperfect and God can still work through me. Yeah. Excellent. 
I love what we said about being more vulnerable. We often talk about we all need the Lord. We're all sinners, and then we go to church, and nobody looks like they're sinning. Yeah. Uh, right? Everybody <laughs> looks like, and we look on Instagram, and everybody looks perfect. Like uh, we 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 preach one thing, and then kind of show off a different life. I love this idea of being vulnerable. Second, um, I would say, don't fear the enemies of this work. The Lord in section 10 is saying, I got this. Sometimes a, an anti-Mormon article or something will gain some traction and my students at BYU will get worried. Brother Smith, aren't you worried? You know, this could be huge. This could be really damaging. And I always tell them, uh, the very first anti-Mormon book was printed in 1831. The church was organized in 1830 and the first anti-Mormon book comes out a year later. <laughs> I mean, it, it, Satan is quick. Uh, but that book ended up getting translated into German, and a guy picks it up in Germany. His name uh, is Karl Mazur. He picks it up and reads it and thinks, I wanna look into this a little bit more. He eventually investigates the church and joins the church because of this anti-Mormon book, comes to Utah, and I don't know if you know, he starts this little university in Provo, Utah that has some impact, um, later called Brigham Young University all because of an anti-Mormon book. So if you go back to section 10, the Lord's saying, I got this. To me, that brings great comfort. The Lord is mighty to save. Sometimes we believe in a Lord that is kind of puny to save. Like he can't save me. He can't save my family, right? He can't save this church. You're going, we believe in a, in a savior who is mighty to save. So we've got the Lord of the universe on our side. There's nothing to be afraid of. That's a beautiful comment. So this has been a great discussion on preparing the way. Thank you for your thoughts. We'd like to go now to our next topic, which is treasuring the word. And Hank, I think you had some great scriptures and great insights about treasuring the word from section 11 specifically. Oh, I just love section 11. First, you, you have to talk about Hiram Smith, right? Hiram Smith is so important to Joseph Smith. That's one of the first things I try to teach my own children, and we have families here, uh, that we need to be those type of siblings for each other, not those type that tear each other down or he's breathing my air, <laughs> right? Uh, but this idea of I'm gonna build my siblings up. Hank, can I share with you one thing that Joseph Smith said? I, I love this in referring to his brother. He actually says this, I could pray in my heart that all my brethren were likened to my beloved brother Hiram, who possesses the mildness of a lamb and the integrity of a Job, and in short, the meekness and the humility of Jesus Christ. I love him with a love that is stronger than death. I mean, such a beautiful statement from a brother to a brother. And then you think of him in Carthage jail with Joseph holding Hiram as he's bleeding, right? And it just creates this, uh, this, I don't know, this desire in me to be better. In fact, in section 11, he hasn't seen Hiram for a little while. He's been away, so I, I think he's seeing Hiram for the first time, and I'm sure he was overjoyed just, just in this one revelation to be able to have a chance just to be with his brother again. And I'm sure when Hiram wants to know the will of the Lord, he is going to receive the, the will of the Lord for his brother, and he's giddy about it. He wants to help his brother. To me, there is so much to learn here. The one verse I really love is verse 12. Someone might come to me and say, Brother Smith, I don't think I've ever felt the Holy Ghost. But if you've been a member of the church your whole life uh, and you've served a mission and you come to me and say, I don't know if I've ever felt the Holy Ghost. What I really hear from you is, I don't know if I've ever breathed before. I promise you have, you just haven't recognized it. The description we have in verse 12 of the Spirit is so clear. And now verily, verily, I say unto thee, put your trust in that Spirit so it's clearly identified, which leadeth to do good. How many people here have ever wanted to do good at least once in their life? They've wanted to do good. 
How many of you feel it right now? You want to do good, right? Okay, to do justly. How many of you have wanted to be honest ever in your life? To walk humbly, to judge righteously. Have you ever thought when you saw someone and thought, oh, they look like a bad person and then thought, I shouldn't think that way. How many of you ever had that experience before? Right, we've all had that experience. Guess what that was every single time? That was the Holy Ghost. So if someone says, I don't know if I've ever felt the Holy Ghost, really? You've never wanted to do good? You've never wanted to be honest? You've never wanted to judge righteously? Yeah, I've wanted to do those things. That was the Holy Ghost. Uh, And what's interesting is they'll say, well, I feel that way most of the time. Well, the promise of the sacrament is that they will always have his spirit to be with them. So you should feel that way most of the time. Excellent, thanks. So if I could point out a few verses here that kind of stuck out to me. Uh, So verses 21 and and verses 26 is where you really get this language of uh, obtaining the word, treasuring word. Do not seek to declare my word, but first seek to obtain my word. Then 26, therefore, treasure up in your heart until the time in which my wisdom that you should go forth. So my question is, what does it mean to, to obtain the word? What does it mean to treasure the word? And does this imply more than just understanding it or knowing what it is? So my scripture study has really been enhanced since I have started to focus on creating a space and a time daily um, to be quiet and still and to meditate and not just pray, but to sit and listen afterwards. That's been a game changer for me. Thank you. That was a great comment. Maddie, I think you had a comment. For me, it's just starting little simple baby steps. Like in the morning, I'll listen to my scriptures on my phone while I get ready for school. It's just the simple stuff for me to get started to work on and to progress forward. And you're figuring out what works for you, Maddie, and that's fantastic. Can I share something, Barbara? Please. So my, my main problem with the script, let me rephrase that. <laughs> uh, so the main problem I have is either I don't understand what I'm reading sometimes or I get bored with what I'm reading because I already know the stories or I, I feel like because I already agree with it, there's no point in me reading it again. Um, so at the course of my life, I've tried to find out what works for me. And there's two things. The first is going to the scriptures with questions. Uh, questions are how we excavate scripture, uh, which is to say I have a question in mind and I read all the scriptures I can about that topic or read other scriptures that don't have to do with it in an effort to see how maybe they could relate. Um, but I go in with specific questions and that's helped, uh, that's helped the text be a living force in my life as opposed to just uh, something stale that can only say one thing. And the second is that I I use commentaries and and study tools, anything that will help me see the scriptures from different perspectives. I want to look at it through a different lens, to turn the kaleidoscope, as it were, so I can see it through different perspectives. Because these are opportunities to learn, right? And it reminded me of something Elder Ballad said in 2016. He was teaching church educators, and he said, We should ask those with appropriate academic training, experience, and expertise for help. This is exactly what I do when I need an answer to my own questions that I cannot answer myself. I seek from my brethren in the Quorum of the Twelve and from others with expertise in the fields of church history and doctrine. As I can testify of this, this has been an absolute uh, strength in my own understanding of the scriptures and approaching a more Christ-like um, state of being. Hank, do you have some thoughts on this? Well, I, I'm going to come back to what Maddie said earlier. I love the idea of you got to do what works for you. If I got up at five in the morning to read my scriptures, I would fall asleep. I am just, that's not me. Uh, and so I, instead of saying, oh, I've got I've to do what they do, I'm going to do what works for me. And when Daniel was talking about, I like to read what other people say. You know, I am an audio guy. I like to hear other things. So I'm going to go on a trip, right? And I'm going to go to my BYU TV app. I'm going to turn on Come Follow Up. And I'm going to, you know, if I got a, 
a good hour drive. What a great way to spend that hour. I've turned my car into a little scripture study zone of mine. We don't want anyone going, well, I, I'm not a good person. I don't wake up early to study. That's what works for that person. So find what works for you. And push find yourself, what, I would yeah. say. Thank you for your thoughts on that. That was great. This has been an excellent uh, discussion of treasuring up the word. And thank you so much for your comments and your insights. And I, I know I've learned a lot, so thank you. Thank you so much, Hank, for your wonderful stories, your enthusiasm, your knowledge of the scriptures. It's been a pleasure having you here today. And we'd like to thank you also in the audience for your great questions, your great insights. You've taught us a lot and you've set us a great spirit today as well. And for those of you at home, thank you for your comments and questions and, and suggestions that you've sent us via social media. We'd love to have you in the studio with us sometime, but if you can't join us, uh, we hope you'll watch next week on Come Follow Up. Thanks a lot. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.